Support for Speaking of Travel comes from Asheville Regional Airport, Western North Carolina's gateway to the world. Your safety when traveling to and from Asheville is and always will be our top priority. Asheville Regional Airport. Visit flyavl.com for all your current travel information. By Prestige Subaru, offering a variety of new and pre-owned all-wheel drive Subarus, built with the zero landfill promise. All waste is recycled or reused. With more at PrestigeSubaru.com. Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours. You'll be at the top of the city as you experience Asheville's history and scenic beauty, historic landmarks, and award-winning rooftop bars. Transportation is provided with tours offered daily, year-round. Find out more at AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. By RomanticAsheville.com. Create your perfect vacation in the land of the sky with the region's most popular online travel guide. Plan your next getaway to Asheville and the North Carolina Blue Ridge Mountains by visiting RomanticAsheville.com. Welcome to Speaking of Travel with Marilyn Ball. Sit back and be carried away to places around the world and right here in our own backyard. No passport required. Welcome to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball, and you're listening right here on iHeartRadio 570 WWNC. And remember, you can always listen to this episode of Speaking of Travel or any past episode with a simple click on the Speaking of Travel website. That's speakingoftravel.net. On the iHeartRadio app, Buzzsprout, iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon. You can listen to Speaking of Travel pretty much on any podcast platform. And be sure when you visit speakingoftravel.net to sign up for the Travel Club. You'll receive travel news and helpful tips and stories from fellow travel lovers who share heartfelt, unforgettable travel stories. You know, some of my favorite stories are from people who reflect on their time spent in service to the Peace Corps. I have found that every Peace Corps volunteer comes home with stories of adventure and challenges and lessons learned. My guest today served as a Peace Corps volunteer in Malawi, Africa from 1967 to 69. Dr. Jack Allison never intended to write the number one hit song in Malawi or be described by Newsweek as more popular than their own president. But these things happened to him, and I can't put down his book, The Warm Heart of Africa. It's really a page-turner filled with stories about humanity and the impact of this time on his life. And Jack, welcome to Speaking of Travel. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much, Marilyn. It's a joy to be here. So, Jack, I've been reading your book, and I have to say, you really had quite an adventure, and it was a life-changing adventure for you. Tell us a little bit about your backstory. How did you even come to recognize that going into the Peace Corps was something you wanted to do? Well, it all started when I was a student at Warren Wilson College. And what I found out from coming up here from Florida is that there were a lot of international students on campus. And I'd never met people from Kenya or India or the Fiji Islands or Greece. And it was just a joy to interact with these folks and sample their food. The other issue 
was that the minister on campus was really a tremendous person. And I decided that I, th I thought that I wanted to be a campus minister. His name was Fred Oler. And I started to think, uh, when I first got on campus, I thought, well, maybe I'll try to become a doctor. And then I thought I wanted to be like Fred, and then I couldn't make up my mind. And I ended up uh, being drawn to the Peace Corps in order to make that decision. So once you made that decision, give us just a little bit of an idea of what it's like to even enter the Peace Corps. Well, first of all, you got to apply, and then you have to go through uh, background checks. The FBI uh, goes to your hometown, and they go to your the campuses that you've um, attended. I transferred from Warren Wilson because at the time it was a junior college, so I went on to Chapel Hill. And um, then you have to pass a physical exam, and then you hurry up and wait. And I got assigned to go to Ghana in West Africa, and that changed because um, the Peace, uh, the, I'm sorry, the Men's Glee Club at Chapel Hill got a chance to go to Europe. And so uh, I called the desk officer in D.C. and said, golly, would it be possible for me to go to a different country? And he allowed me, first of all, to go to Nigeria. And um, so I went to a three-month training program to go to Nigeria. And what happened was that uh, because of the civil war there with Biafra, the eastern region of um, Nigeria seceded from the, uh, from the Union, and they had a civil war. And they said, okay, Peace Corps said, it's dangerous. We're not sending you to Nigeria. So they ended up sending the bulk of us to Malawi, which is southeast central Africa, it's all the way across the continent from Nigeria. And a funny story happened, but when they made that announcement, I remember bobbing and weaving with the rest of them that I turned to the young woman next to me and I said, where in the world is Malawi? And she said, I have no idea. So then you went, what was it like when you, when you landed and you were suddenly there? Well, it, it's so different. Um, the climate wasn't particularly different for me because I was a Florida boy and a lot of Malawi is subtropical. So it wasn't the climate so much, but, um, you know, getting used to different food, getting used to different culture. And I think Peace Corps does a real good job, an excellent job, actually, of giving volunteers a foundation in the do's and don'ts, the goods, bads, and uglies uh, cross-culturally, and they do an excellent job with the language. And the byword phrase with the Peace Corps is be flexible, because you never know what's going to happen. So it was one thing to be in the big city and to, again, eat different food, but most of which was British because we were staying at a hotel. But um, may I tell you about going to my, to my village? Yes. Well, there were me and another volunteer and a truck driver. The, uh, the Brits call it a lorry. 
and it had all of our bagage on the back. And we drove to my village first, and it was 100 miles from the commercial capital called Blantyre. And when we got there, I was just stunned. The play, the, my village was very, very poor at the time. It's still poor. Goats, pigs, chickens, they were all running here and there. Nothing was pinned up. Uh, there was a lot of dung all over the place. There was a lot of uh, dust and dirt and corn husks. And the kids were dressed in, in dirty rags. And um, they greeted us in their local language and I could I could carry on for about uh, three minutes and after that I ran out ran out of things to say but uh, I was I ended up being the only white person that a lot of the children and many of the adults they'd never seen a white person before so they were a little bit uh, skeptical and definitely at first were a bit frightened of me. Well, you settled in. Did you stay the the whole time there? Yeah, I, I stayed there. Uh, a couple things happened. I, after I'd been there uh, for about a year and a half and my songs had become pretty popular, I became ill and Peace Corps aired on the side of protection and they sent me back to the States to make sure I was okay. Well, when you've been in for 18 months, I only had six months to go, and I had to fight an uphill battle to get back to Malawi, and the way I convinced them was that I wanted to extend for that third year, and I finally had to go to the national director of the Peace Corps in D.C. and beg his um, <laughs> his uh, wherewithal to let me go back, and that happened. So the other thing that happened, Marilyn, is that I got to tour the country for five months. And I uh, ended up uh, using puppetry and my music, and it was a health education show. And uh, we had contact with over 60,000 Malawians, primarily in the bush, uh, what we would call in the States, uh, the country. Well, Jack, when we come back, I want to talk more about that. I want to talk about, uh, I want to hear more about your music, how how you ended up having the number one song there, these adventures that you had out into the country. The, the story is so rich and just full of uh, humor. There's a lot. One thing I love about your book is that uh, you really have a, a way with making things uh, humorous. The irony is not escaping me either. So thank you so much. I want to I come right back and talk more with you about your time there and, and all your adventures. This is Marilyn Ball. I'm talking with Jack Allison. We're here on Speaking of Travel, and we'll be right back. The 
best way to feel the love is to share it. That's why Subaru created the Subaru Share the Love event. Over the last 12 years, Subaru has donated over $200 million to charity. This year, we're continuing the tradition. Right now, when you get a new Subaru, Subaru will donate $250 to your choice of charity partners. The ASPCA, Make-A-Wish, Meals on Wheels, or the National Park Foundation. This year, Prestige Subaru welcomes Homeward Bound WNC and the Asheville Humane Society as our hometown charity partners. The Subaru Share the Love event. Now through January 4th at Prestige Subaru. Welcome to Subiville. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. And let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words... Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball, and my guest today is Dr. Jack Allison. He was a Peace Corps volunteer back in the 60s. And Jack, you had, uh, as you were saying, just a lot of adventures going on over there. You you went from being a student at Warren Wilson, then you went to Chapel Hill. And you had mentioned when you were at Chapel Hill, were you in the Glee Club at that time? Yes, I was. I uh- I transferred as a junior and I ended up staying three years and I was in the Glee Club for all three years. The highlight with the Glee Club is that we got to be on the Ed Sullivan show. So people my age and just a bit younger will remember the Ed Sullivan show was the biggest uh, show every Sunday night. It came on at eight o'clock. It was on CBS and it ran for 23 years. So the Men's Glee Club got to be on the Ed Sullivan Show right before we departed for Europe and we toured Europe for five weeks. That is a huge adventure. Oh my gosh. I was a big fan of the Ed Sullivan Show, not to give away my age, but (laughs) I have pictures of the screen when the Beatles were on. I don't think I've ever taken a picture of my TV except for that time with my little brownie camera. So music was something that was a part of your life. When you were in Africa, you were able to use that music to connect with people. Tell us how that all unfolded. Marilyn, I had two and a half years of formal voice training while in college, uh, two years at Warren Wilson, another semester at uh, UNC Chapel Hill, but I'd never written a song. And um, after we'd been in country about three months, because our program was brand new, they decided to bring all the volunteers into a resort area on Lake Malawi and to debrief, to find out what was going well, were we meeting our needs being met professionally and those kinds of things? Well, it was the first tub bath I'd had in three months. So I got in this huge tub and I filled the water all the way up to my nose. And I was staring at the ceiling. And in my mind's eye, I could see a poster that a volunteer who lived 10 miles down the road, she could draw really well. And even though I became a physician, I honestly have been blessed with pretty darn good penmanship. So she drew a great big fly on two posters. And then I wrote in the local language, Chichewa, I wrote, brush the flies out of your baby's eyes to prevent eye disease. What we noted is that 
Uh, well, in Malawi and in, in much of Africa, African women carry their babies on their back. But when the baby's on the back and mama's doing her work, she can't see the baby unless the baby has a need. And we would notice when the ba- when mamas would walk by, the baby's eyes were covered black with flies. So I wrote, I wrote, uh, brush the flies out of your baby's eyes to prevent eye disease on the poster. And in my mind's eye, I could see those words. And I started to try to make the words fit with a tune and it was an original tune and all of a sudden I had I'd written a song so I jumped out of the tub I ran down to the beach I honestly put my clothes on and I grabbed somebody's cassette player because that that was the uh, the uh, vogue at the time got an empty cassette uh, tape and went down the beach and hummed the song into that so I wouldn't lose it. About a week, week and a half later, we recorded the song with the most popular um, uh, African band in Malawi. They were called the Jazz Giants. And son of a gun, people could tell (laughs) from my accent that I was, quote unquote, a European. Anybody white in Malawi is called a European. You can be from Greenland or Argentina or be a Florida, North Carolina boy such as myself. You're a European. So they could tell. And people really liked my song. What happened next is that I went into town and I recorded what became the number one song in Malawi for the next three years. And the gist of the song was put pounded up peanut flour in your baby's, what we say in the South, cornmeal mush or maize porridge, feed it to your young and three times a day if you want your child to be healthy. In other words, to weigh a lot on the scale. And in today's parlance, Marilyn, that song went viral. It was number one in Malawi for three years. And people ask me, Jack, how in the world did a song that was supposed to be health education be the number one song? And the answer is, I have no idea. I just accepted it. <laughs> that is a great story, Jack. And it's it's one for the ages, definitely, because it was educational. It was important health information. At that point, were you already considering going into medicine? Well, I'd always considered it. And I had this tremendous conflict. So I had the conflict at Warren Wilson, I had the conflict at UNC Chapel Hill. I used to cut out of a chemistry lab and to go here. There was a guy much like Fred Oler in Chapel Hill, and I used to go uh, listen to him. And um, I actually asked him to write letters of recommendation for me to go to seminary. What happened is I got accepted to seminary And to use a medical phrase, it scared the living hell out of me. So uh, I decided, am I going to, which one am I going to do? I'd done five years of undergrad. I was tired. I'd worked all five years. And I decided, well, maybe instead of flipping burgers, maybe I could do something that would be meaningful. And I started to look into the Peace Corps, and I was definitely drawn to the Peace Corps. 
And then when you when you came out of the Peace Corps, is that when you decided to go to medical school? Well, I decided while I was still in Malawi, I worked under what's in Malawi called a medical assistant, which is very similar to a physician's assistant here in the States. He was up to date. He was compassionate. He was a healer. And he shared because he knew I had an interest in medicine. He let me do stuff that I never would have been allowed to do, even as a first uh, first year medical student or halfway through my my second year. So I really had a, a wonderful time. And that's when I finally made the decision and uh, started to apply to um, schools of public health. I decided to use public health as a springboard to get into medical school, and it worked out really well. Well, Jack, I am just so proud of you. I feel like oh, you. <laughs> you you are such an inspiration, and you have had such an incredible uh, career and, and life, and putting it into your memoir is you know, it's just so special. How can people get a copy of this book and, and find out more and read more about your, your adventures and your stories? Well, thank you. I, locally, I think people should log on to Malaprops. It's the best bookstore here in town. Uh, they can go to amazon.com and either type in my name, Jack Allison, or the warm heart of Africa. They can actually go online and and order it through Barnes and Noble as well. And I I do have a website. It's all one word and spelled out, drjackallison.com. And um, I think there are lots of ways to um, uh, to get the book. The other thing, I, I encourage people to please buy it because we're giving away all the proceeds. So far we've sold that I know of 565 copies and we've given away $1,000 to three separate entities, uh, the first of which was to Mana Food Bank here in Asheville. Well, Jack, thank you so much. I know that you there's so much more that I'd like to dig deeper, the uh, philanthropy, uh, the donations to the various charities, the uh, feeding of the children who have been orphaned because their families have died of AIDS in Africa. There's just so much. Um, there's just so much inspiration in your story, Jack. And I, I want to thank you so much for taking time to be on Speaking of Travel today. Oh, my pleasure, indeed. Thank you so much, Marilyn. Jack, I'm going to definitely have you back. Well, in the meantime, I think we could all probably use a change of scenery right about now. The days are getting shorter and. A little chilly, too. So how about a nice, cozy getaway to the homeland of the Cherokee Indians? The Cherokee Indian Reservation in Cherokee, North Carolina, is a place the entire family can enjoy spending time in nature, learning about Native history and culture, and even fishing for some rainbow trout. Coming up next is Chris McCoy, the Director of Communication for the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians in Cherokee, North Carolina, to fill us in on what's new in Cherokee these days. So stay tuned. Are you ready to plan your next vacation or staycation to Asheville and the North Carolina Blue Ridge Mountains? 
Create your perfect vacation in the land of the sky with the region's most popular online travel guide. Not just for couples, RomanticAsheville.com is a 900-page online guide covering a nearly 100-mile radius around Asheville, North Carolina. Fall is here, making this the perfect time to explore all the many safe and memorable adventures found across Western North Carolina. Visit RomanticAsheville.com today. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball. I just came back from a quick getaway, and it was so worth the experience. Just a pleasant drive west of Asheville, North Carolina, is the Cherokee Indian Reservation. It's located at the entrance of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and it's the headquarters for the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. Cherokee is really a great place to reconnect with history, culture, and nature in all its glory with environmental protection in mind. I'm joined today with Chris McCoy, Director of Communication for the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians, to find out what's happening in Cherokee and why it's such a special place to visit. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for being on Speaking of Travel. Hey, Marilyn. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Well, Chris, I love coming out to Cherokee. I've been coming out for a long time and uh, multi-generational visits, I have to say. But I really am excited to hear about some of the new initiatives that are going on over there on the reservation and would love to talk to you a little bit, especially about your ecotourism. That's such an important platform on Speaking of Travel. Give us an idea of what's going on over there in ecotourism. That's great. Yeah. And I'm glad you made it out this way. We do have a beautiful location, you know, and I think that's something that we realize in our strategic planning um, that, you know, while we have a beautiful casino resort and some beautiful um, hiking trails and rivers around here, that we've got to make sure that we pay attention to those things that sometimes get left behind. And uh, and so we started looking at our ecotourism and saying, hey, let's build some trails. Let's cut some trails out of these mountains, these beautiful mountains that we have here. And it's very low impact to the to the um, environment. It's very low cost, very affordable type build outs. And so we're looking at building out our, our biking trails, Fire Mountain Trails. Uh, it's, it's getting world-renowned uh, notoriety now as far as biking trails go. Uh, we're looking at our waterfall development. How do we get our uh, visitors that come here to see our beautiful waterfalls, our clean water? Uh, and, and it's something that we've noticed over the years uh, that we're getting visitors from all around the world that just want to see our waterfalls. And so it's really incredible. And we want to make sure that we can continue to, to build out the natural environment that we're so proud of here and that we're good stewards of. Well, you have a lot of waterfalls over there. We do. Yeah, we have Soco Falls. Uh, and when you enter the, uh, the boundary uh, on the north side, coming from Maggie Valley, at the top of the mountain, you'll encounter Soco Falls. Soco Falls is uh, it's a very beautiful, it's twin falls that actually fall in together into the creek. And we have a really nice um, lookout over on the side. We're going to build that out because we, we want to make sure that people are having a, a good, safe time there. And, and as it's presented right now, there are a lot of challenges to getting folks uh, safely to that waterfall. And so that's that's a high priority for us to build out Soco Falls. Up in the Big Cove community, we have what's called Mingo Falls. Now, Mingo Falls, uh, you know, everybody that's ever been to Cherokee has probably seen Mingo Falls. It's a beautiful tower falls. Uh, you stand at the base of it on an overlook and, and look up at it. It's a nice little hike, maybe a quarter mile hike up. Uh, and we're going to develop that as well, make sure that the parking is adequate. Uh, we're going to put restrooms in. 
Uh, we're going to try to build that up into a really nice feature for Cherokee so that folks, again, have a nice experience and a safe experience. And so our waterfalls are, are one of the things we're very proud of. Uh, in addition to our island park, we have a lot of nice water features here in Cherokee. Well, there's so much natural resource, and certainly being right there at the the entrance to the Great Smoky Mountain National Park, which has so much diversity, is really amazing. Tell us a little bit about your new mobile app development, because that's very exciting news. Right. So as we were looking at all, all the cool things that we have to do in a day here in Cherokee, we realized quickly that there's not really a central hub for folks to find out about that information. And so, you know, catching up to the modern times, we decided that a mobile app would be appropriate for folks to come to town. They can download it on our, on our network here. And um, it gives you access to all the restaurants, all the cultural activities, all the natural activities, uh, as well as a bear hunt that we're integrating into it, where you can go around and find all the little painted bears that we've put out throughout town uh, that you could claim for a prize later at the end of the day. So um, we, we've really just uh, worked on this mobile app for months, and we think it's going to be key to uh, tying all of our uh, components together for our visitors. Well, speaking of tying all the components together for your visitors, tell us about your free public Wi-Fi, because that is very exciting as well. You're right. Uh, one of the things we meant, we'd known early on was that uh, connectivity here in the mountains is very tough on our visitors. And so we, we decided that we needed to put in for a free public Wi-Fi system with our uh, sponsors and partners over at Cherokee Broadband to put out a system that folks that come to town can have uh, connectivity access to, whether they're on their cell phone or a tablet or, or a computer. And so we've put this up. It's actually up and operational now. And then through that, we'll feed um, you know coupons and specials and events that are happening uh, on the landing page there and also promote the mobile app through it. That's really great. So when you get over there, you can have good Wi-Fi. You can eventually be able to download that mobile app and really have an interactive experiential type of vacation. That's the idea, you know, that you can treat Cherokee as almost an amusement park so that you can see all of our uh, pieces of our, uh, our park together in one area, in one location. You can take home those memories with you. And so that's what we're really trying to build out here is that experiential uh, component of it, where you're not having to spend a bunch of money just to come out and see some natural beauty and get a little bit of culture. Well, Chris, let me ask you, being a partner with RomanticAsheville.com, you are definitely into collaboration and partnerships, and you work with a lot of the other partners in, in and around Cherokee. But tell us a little bit about the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. Most people uh, who haven't been there might not be familiar with what the reservation is. Right. So we are a federally recognized Indian tribe. Uh, there are about 15,500 of us, and we've been here for tens of thousands of years. We're still pulling pottery out of the riverbank out here. And so what we've created is an economy around here based around culture uh, and natural resources. And, uh, and for many, many years, we were uh, visited by, as you mentioned earlier, multi-generational families. You know, grandpa came in the, in the 50s and then in the 60s, he brought his children. In the 70s, they brought grandchildren. And, um, and so this is a place, a hub that we hope that families can come to again and reconnect with culture, reconnect with, uh, with nature. Uh, and we provide those resources for folks to come here and have a really nice getaway vacation. It's not the hustle and bustle of the city and it's not the hot sun of the beach, uh, but it's a little bit of, of both worlds. It's, it's its own little niche kind of vacation spot. And uh, it's something that we hope folks come here and have a really good time. Again, take these memories uh, back with you that you'll have forever uh, so that you can bring your grandchildren and their children back. Well, it's so rich in history and, and the Cherokee culture. And you've got a, a, one of the finest museums anywhere uh, right there on the reservation. 
That's right. Our, our Museum of the Cherokee Indian uh, will give you the history from, uh, from the early days all the way through modern Cherokee life. Uh, they have great rotating ex exhibits that go through. Uh, and so you'll want to make sure that you come more than once. If you're in the local area, come quarterly so you can see all the changes and updates that the museum is doing. Uh, that's also in our plans. We're looking at down the road, a cultural district redesign master plan where we really build those components out again and give you more hands-on experiential treatment. Well, and I certainly don't want to leave out the fishing because that is something that is just world-renowned over there. You are right. We have a Team USA fly fisherman here in Cherokee that gives guided tours. We have some of the most pristine and beautiful natural water in the world. I'd say, I dare say we compete with any of our neighbors, but we're not really trying to compete with them. If you can make it to Western North Carolina, you're going to get great fishing all up and down the, the river here. Um, and so we have some trophy waters uh, where you can catch and release very, very large trout. I've only seen pictures of because you can't take them home with you. But um, you will, you can come here and have a great time with your family. We have fishing ponds for the kids. Uh, you can sit out with a, you know, take you a picnic and sit out by the pond and, and have a good time. So we but come on out and check out our fishing sometime. I really encourage uh, the people that are listening to the show to, uh, to get out by the water. That's some of the Cherokee medicine for many, many years. Uh, water's are the source of our medicine and good therapy for people, especially in times like this with the pandemic. Get outside and sit by the water. Well, Chris, I, I just am... Um... So excited to hear all of your new initiatives and what you're doing. I've always uh, really admired and respected the Cherokee for their uh, love of Mother Earth to be taking care of, of our planet in your space. And we're going to look forward to coming back out there again really soon. How can we get more information about uh, the Cherokee Indian Reservation? Yes, if you'll go to visitcherokeenc.com and look for us on Facebook at Visit Cherokee. You can find tons of information there. And if you don't see anything there, you can certainly ask it in the comments or in the uh, direct messages and, and come out and visit us. As you said earlier, we all are in this together. We're all good stewards of nature together. It's not just a Cherokee thing. You know, as people of Western North Carolina, we have a responsibility to take care of this beautiful environment we have here. Well, thank you, Chris. It's really been a pleasure. And, and I look forward to seeing you again soon when, uh, when we come out there to Cherokee. Absolutely. You take care, Marilyn, and thank you. Thank you. Well, for those of you who are taken to the air this winter, as it seems more and more people are doing, will we find that airports are calmer or more hectic? Stay tuned for my conversation with Tina Kinsey of the Asheville Regional Airport to find out what the vibe is as we enter into this new season. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Kay. At Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours, we put you in the middle of experiencing Asheville like no one else can. With an expert guide by your side, you'll have an all-access pass to what makes Asheville so unique. Our sense of place, history, and awe, along with great food and drinks and spectacular views. We follow safety protocols on every tour. Come experience why TripAdvisor awarded our company the 2020 Traveler's Choice Award, placing us in the top 10% of attractions worldwide. To learn more about us and our award-winning tours, visit AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on a Jupiter and Mars. In other words, welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball. 
As we begin the final stretch of a year as unique as 2020, how are we going to decide how we're going to travel during this winter season? For many people, there's going to be that long-awaited trip home for the holidays, or maybe a ski escape to Colorado. There are people traveling by air these days. So come winter, will we find that airports are calmer or more hectic? With more regular air service returning again and traveler numbers increasing, what can we expect to find at airports? Here with me today is Tina Kinsey, Director of Marketing, PR, and Air Service Development at the Asheville Regional Airport to take a look at air travel outlooks for the winter and beyond. Tina, welcome to Speaking of Travel. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Marilyn. Great to be here. So, Tina, let's talk a little bit about this season. We're getting ready to start uh, a chillier time of the year. People are starting to get back out and, and travel again a little bit on planes. What are you seeing over there at the Asheville Regional Airport these days? Well, we are seeing travel continue to pick up. People are becoming more comfortable traveling in this year of the pandemic. Um, And I believe that that's because extraordinary measures have been taken by airlines, airports, and other in the air travel journey uh, to make that experience as safe and healthy as possible. But also, people want to travel. They want to get out there um, and resume life. So they're, they're complying with you know, what they need to do to stay safe. And so we're really seeing just about everybody who is in the airport wearing those masks, staying, you know, a a good distance from each other, really respecting the way we all have to live right now. And what are you projecting as we move into this, what is normally a busy holiday season Having just gone through the Thanksgiving time, what are you projecting is going to be the kind of vibe over there at the airport as we come into this next part of the holidays? Sure. Well, you know, everything is relative, uh, especially when we talk about busy times or what's going to happen this year, because, you know, as everybody knows, uh, travel has declined compared to last year. However, relatively speaking, when you look at what we've been experiencing for the last nine, 10 months, we, we did see a spike in numbers of travelers during Thanksgiving week, which says to us that the Christmas holiday will also experience a spike in travel. People are going to, to be with their families um, and getting on airplanes to do that. So we are prepared and ready for, for that spike in travel over the Christmas week and New Year's. And, you know, just continuing to push out messaging about safely traveling respecting those around you, really doing everything we all can to make that travel journey the best it can be. Um, as we move through these colder months, you know, we're, we're being advised to really be even more careful now. So, um, you know, that, that doesn't exclude an, a process like air travel. We have to be even more diligent as well. 
Absolutely. And and you definitely, from the very beginning of uh, this year, really, the uh, as we saw this shift in uh, air travel, have been very diligent about making sure that the airport is safe and in compliance and working with the airlines as well to ensure that as uh, as customers start to return and start to travel again, that they are safe and and you are doing everything you can. Remind us, Tina, of some of the uh, some of the new ways that people will travel through the airport. Sure. So, you know, don't even come into the airport if you are not traveling or you don't have a reason to assist another traveler. That's that's an easy one. Just stay in the car, drop your traveler off and leave or wait in our complimentary cell phone lot uh, for your traveler to arrive if you're picking them up from the airport. Uh, Let them give you a call when they are at baggage claim and you can just circle around and pick them up right on the front curb. Um, So that's an easy one. But I think the the big one is, you know, when you come in and you get in line to check in for your flight, uh, there's there are often a lot of people there waiting and, you know, space yourselves out. Maybe give yourself even a little more extra time to come to the airport so that you can avoid those longer lines and, you know, have that social distance that you need in the airport or do all your checking in online. You know, mobile check-in is a fantastic tool. And if you're not checking a bag, it is a great way to check in for your flight, then go straight to the security screening line and and go through TSA screening. There are also new screening methodologies um, that have been implemented this year by the TSA. So I encourage everyone to visit tsa.gov and Take a look at what you can bring on an airplane and how you have to package that and get it ready for screening when you go through security screening. So many things. Um, But, you know, every airport has lots of signage and overhead announcements and information to help make it very clear uh, when you enter the building. Well, that's very good to know. And I think educating ourselves to the new regulations, the protocols that we have to follow is only going to make the process that much easier and certainly much more manageable. Tell us just a, a little bit about that pre-check, Tina, and, and what it's like to go through the uh, TSA. Sure. So, you know, we have social distance markers. Uh, most airports do it at the TSA security screening line. All the TSA agents um, are taking precautions. They are wearing gloves and uh, face masks and depending on their role, uh, face shields as well, um, encouraging use of mobile technology um, so that they reduce touch points with you and your personal belongings. You you can bring a larger bottle of hand sanitizer, larger than the usual 3.4 ounces allowed. So that's a good thing. If you have food that you're bringing with you on the plane, you can screen that separately in a separate bin. And that is a strategy just to minimize how often TSA agents have to 
pull your bag and open it and go through your bag and touch your belongings because food often can trigger um, extra screening. So, so that's a new method that they have in place. And again, go to tsa.gov to learn more. And how can we find out more information about the Asheville Regional Airport, get on the list for your for your newsletter? And I know that you have uh, a survey out there right now, and I would encourage everybody to, to go to your website and take that short survey. Tell us a little about that. Sure. So our website is flyavl.com, and that's where you can do all those things you mentioned. You can find out a lot of information about us. You can connect with us in multiple ways, including signing up for our monthly e-newsletter. We call it Window Seat. And then we've got a link to a survey that we are trying, we're we're putting it out there every couple of months. um, And it's just to get an idea of how our region's travelers are feeling about air travel. Um, It helps us understand maybe areas where we need to focus more communication and education or just understanding um, just the vibe, how people are feeling about air travel, and then we can move forward in, a, in a, an educated way. I really appreciate that, Tina. It's going to help all of us as we move forward into these next seasons. Well, thank you so much for being here. And next week when we talk, I'd like to maybe we can get an update on what the survey is showing, what people are, what that vibe is as we go in. Well, thanks, Tina. And we'll look forward to seeing you sometime sooner than later over there at the Asheville Regional Airport. Great. Thanks, Marilyn. Well, thanks, Tina. And thanks to Jack and Chris for joining us today on Speaking of Travel. You know, as these temperatures begin to drop, we don't have to go into hibernation mode. All right, winter is cold for many of us, but it's also the time of hot toddies and warm blankets and hope. Let's not lose sight of the wonder of this season. Remember what it was like as a kid and we would rush out at the crack of dawn to play all day in the snow and then curl up with a cup of hot cocoa? It's not called the most wonderful time of the year for nothing. This week, go out and relish in the beauty and tranquility of this season. This is a time to dream. Cuddle up with some travel books. Find inspiration to help raise your spirits and get yourself ready to travel again. Dreaming of our future trips is one of the best things ever. The anticipation alone will be priceless. Where do you want to go next? Maybe someplace you've never been before. Maybe someplace you want to go back. Our dreams will become a reality. Never lose hope, because remember, life is short. Don't postpone joy. Joy.